This is CyberPod EU, the European cybersecurity podcast powered by Sockwise. So basically, changing the law in a way that there is no problems of exchanging information and cooperating across states through the federal level is a very good step. I think you get more bang for the buck when you actually focus on resilience other than active cyber defense or hackback operations. Hi, everyone, and welcome to our new episode of CyberPod EU. Today, I'm very glad to welcome Sven Herpich as my guest. Sven has a ton of experience in the cybersecurity field, especially when it comes to state security in the, in the cyberspace. He is the head of international cybersecurity policy for the Stiftung Neue Verantwortung, so the new responsibility in Germany. And additionally, he is, among others, part of the advisory board BSE Congress and advisory board member of the EU Cyber Diplomacy Initiative, so the European Union Cyber Direct. I think that's, uh, that there is no doubt that uh, Sven has a ton of experience in the cybersecurity sector. But hello, Sven. I'm, I'm really happy to have you here. How about how are you today? Greg, thanks for having me. No, it's a beautiful day. I'm really happy to uh, be invited here to talk with you a bit about German and maybe international cybersecurity policy. Definitely. Thank you very much. We always uh, try to find uh, the, the right experts in the German market or from the German market, but also from European level as well. And uh, in the in the cybersec or even the whole IT sector, we are constantly talking about the increasing complexity of systems and compliance frameworks, which makes it difficult to manage them. In order to keep the overview, the uh, Stiftung Neue Verantwortung started an ambitious project by mapping the security architecture and network of state-related cybersecurity actors in the German state. And I found this is an amazing job. But on the other hand, it seems pretty Sorry to say that it's a boring job <laughs> for, for many. Reading hundreds of regulations, discussing really abstract questions with experts who use hundreds of acronyms and uh, know very well their own operations, but maybe they are not aware that we don't know them so much as they do. So, uh, and you are also a, an open-minded person, as I as I already learned. You are interested in the technology. You are you are aware of of uh, different aspects as well. So uh, so it uh, it would be made for for many people a more intensive subject to learn. But uh, however, you seem to cope very smoothly with this challenge of philosophic deep dives. So I wanted to ask you if you can disclose or reveal what's your personal strategy to keep, uh, so to say, the fire within your soul. So how, how you keep your interest when it's so energy uh, using this kind of no. activity? No? No, Greg, I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a great question because um, I, I think the main motivation behind what we're doing is that we, uh, like my team, we, we try to make German cybersecurity policy better, um, also by by pushing the government uh, to you know to the limits by asking uncomfortable questions. And um, this overview that we created wasn't only me; it was my team, and that we are constantly updating. We just launched the last update last week. Mm -hmm. um, we 
try to bring that together. And as you said, it's not it's maybe not an intellectual masterpiece. I, I do reckon that. Uh, it is more what, what we like to call bread and butter policy work. I mean, there's mm. hours and hours of time going in there, researching, looking where it goes. Um, but honestly, I believe that this is the basics that you need to do to improve cybersecurity policy. If you're not willing or you're not able to, to do these basics, then, then I don't think that you can build on it. And even the most complex uh, problem or the complex solution needs some, some fundament. And I think um, what we are doing here is just creating a fundament for, for other initiatives, for certain policy discussions where other stakeholders can just look at it and, and take away what they need from what we provide mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. make their policies better. And that's what basically keeps me motivated, seeing it pop up everywhere in presentations and basically people acknowledging our um, hard bread and butter policy work for what it is. Okay, thank you. I I, I must admit I, I really enjoyed re reading it and this uh, infographic or, or the visual visualization you, which you did is amazing for me as well. And I can also advise people not just from Germany, but from any state of the EU to, to take a look because I think it's also an example. Actually, I've never seen such a well-prepared background material. And it's uh, for, for me personally, what helped the most is that you can find every kind of, uh, of organizations from, from NATO or, or EU aspects, including Germany, in which a very well-summarized short description uh, is available. For when you try to find that this and that uh, uh, European level uh, actor is, is what actually they are doing, then you will find uh, um, potentially at least a 10 pages long description what they are doing, but you were able to, to summarize it. And I think it, it describes very well their operations. So I like that very much. Um, okay, so it was a huge project. I can even see that behind you, there is a version of the, the map you created, which I just mentioned. So can you tell a bit more about the project and how, how it started, and I, I think it has a long history, but maybe we should start from 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 2018 or 17, which you prefer. Yeah, basically it goes goes a bit more back even when I was still working with the German government. Uh, I started writing down all the policies and all the um, stakeholders that kind of make up Germany's cybersecurity architecture. And of course that Working there, there was never a possibility to publish it or even pursue it further. It was just a side project. So when I joined the Stiftung Neue Verantwortung in 2017 and uh, we had some spare time at our hands, we said, like, okay, mm -hmm. well, this is some basic that, that doesn't exist and I really wanted to do it. So uh, first thing is we, we basically mapped it out on the wall with threads and, and post-it notes and everything. We invited oh. st stakeholders from the industry and academia and government over to have a workshop on that. And then it slowly developed in what it is now in, in this 200-whatever-page uh, PDF file with this visualization. Mm -hmm. And then the last... I would say the last evolution was that we added some categories like is it an operative cybersecurity actor or is it just for policy um, or is it a training institution? And we also added uh, with help of our data science team an interactive visualization. So now you can go to mm. our website, you can click it and it shows you all the connections and everything. So we mm. try to constantly develop this further. And um, I think a goal for the next couple of years is also to um, run it through some uh, data science analysis and see if there are some 
things we can learn from all the data that we provided um, mm -hmm. that, that we haven't seen before. So mm -hmm. that is basically um, something that we, we do on the site, but we're, we're very happy and, of course, very proud of what we have accomplished in those years. I believe that and you can be very proud of that. I, I agree. And uh, just it, it's, it sounded interesting when you started to do it on a, on a wall. How how large was it? I mean, <laughs> you you needed more than I don't know three hundred post-its, I guess, or more if I look at the map. Oh, right we now. we actually started very small. We we just small, wanted ah. we wanted to ah. map only the federal level, but that was already like I think four meters by three meters or something. <laughs> and I remember that evening when I glued like the different colored threads on the post-its and then tried to pin it to the wall. It was a, it was a fun experience. Mm -hmm. Yes, so you don't, I mean, how I've understood it, you don't need to read the whole stuff. No one will read the whole, whole report. But if you are looking for, for example, you are in contact with a federal or a state level organizations, you will very quickly be aware of their connections and the regulations regarding this this organization. Is that, is that correct? That's very much correct. And I think what we benefit from is also that um, it has reached such a status that these organizations basically come to us, they read our publication, also not everything, just mostly their entries, their own entries. And then if there's something that is not correct, they will email us and say like, hey, we wanted this corrected, but in a very nice way, because they mm -hmm. know that, that a lot of people are reading this, so they want to have their correct um, uh, functions and roles represented mm -hmm. there, which is actually uh, very nice because it saves us a lot of work. <laughs> Yes, uh, I've, I've, I've seen also that you've got, a, let's say, a, a bug bounty type of project, for example, in use, which is very professional and, and up to date. Uh, so I just encourage everyone to take a look at, uh, at, at the map on, the, on, on your web page. Actually, it's easy to find, SNV uh, web page, and then people can also donate, which, which is, I think, regarding all the activities of, of, your, of your organization, it's, it's fair to ask people to do that. So, what what were the biggest changes in the, in the last uh, in the last updated uh, version? There there are also new organizations, I guess. But you just mentioned the, the new new level or layer you added. Yeah, the last version, the ninth version, basically what we did is we went uh, through the entire federal and local levels in Germany and mm -hmm. updated all of that, added new institutions that that were created in the meantime or that we have mm -hmm. overlooked. Um, that, that people mentioned to us. And um, we updated also our interactive visualization, uh, which now is fully functional. So you don't only see the connections be between stakeholders, but you also see all the text and uh, what the function is when you click it. And uh, mm -hmm. for the, I think what's, what might be interesting uh, for the listeners, Greg, is that we are planning to publish a 10th version in spring. And one of our main goals for that version is to update and consolidate all the actors on the European level. Oh, mm -hmm. that is uh, going to be extremely helpful. Do you know any other similar work within EU or any similar in Germany? I, I doubt that, but on EU level... I've, I've, I've never seen, to be honest, but maybe I don't know it. Well, there's a couple of approaches. So the German government um, in 2019 tried to do their own version. And I think they spent tons of money on an on external consultancy companies and mm -hmm. they created one version and then never updated it again. So it's, mm -hmm. it's pretty sad. And well, if you ask mm -hmm. me, maybe 
waste of taxpayers' money. Um, but it was it was it was a good it was a very good overview. Um, it's just mm. sad that it's not updated anymore. Um, mm. I think Enisa, the U European Cybersecurity Agency, also created something similar for the EU level at some point. Mm. I'm not sure if it's actually available online. And mm -hmm. um, I had a I had a maybe recent, not. <laughs> maybe not exactly <laughs> because I was I was looking for it. <laughs> That's why I'm asking. There is text-based information, which is a pretty hard. To, to work with that's that's why i'm asking yeah i th i think it, i've seen it in some presentation or so but it was also just like a couple of boxes and i had a recent discussion with uh, our american counterparts and they were like well we also want something like this <laughs> so so apparently I they also imagine. don't have that <laughs> that's that that should be a hell of a job because the us is pretty complex from from that aspect true but but you also know that if i recall right you've got some uh, experience from the US, at least from, from your studies. So uh, we've got a, a section within, within the podcast, which is, called, which is called the headline of the week. Headline of the week. We, we found an article from the Deutsche Zeitung this week. So let me summarize uh, the headline of the week. This is cybersecurity wish list. So the German Federal Minister of the Interior, Nancy Faeser, presented her plan for the defense against cyber attacks. In order to do that, Faeser proposed to strengthen the competencies of the German state as well as the change as a change of the constitution, especially the Federal Office for Information Security, so BSE, BSE is supposed to get more competencies. Right now, the responsibility is lying before the German states. Faser claims that this is not contemporary to meet current threats, especially the outdated German information technology as a threat to the cybersecurity of critical infrastructure and government agencies. Another reason for centralizing the competencies is that many authorities mean that decisions are time-consuming and are often too late when a cyber attack is launched. Also, small and middle-sized companies should get funding for investing in cyber resilience. Before asking about that, uh, I think you sometimes are, are, are positively critical regarding such articles. Do you think that it, it really covers the reality of the current uh, actions or, 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 or will of the, of the German government? If, if you ask about the current will of the government, I would say yes. If you ask about the actions, um, I'm not so sure yet. <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, I am just adding a favorite opinion. Actually, it's international, I guess. So if my car is stolen or I am robbed on the street, the police will work very hard to catch the perpetrator and bring them to jurisdiction. But in the uh, cyber world nowadays, it is more like the Wild West or the medieval age, in my eyes at least. So everyone carries bodyguards and armor, sometimes e even guns or, or, or swords with themselves. So what is your opinion on this? So what do you think? It's a good step to centralize the responsibilities on one hand, or, or at least what is the, the different wording? So the responsibility of the state regarding this, this uh, new cyber age? A couple of things, um, Greg. So I'm, I'm not a like the biggest fan of analogies, but I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in on that. I think um, in the end of the day, you are also responsible. You know, if you if you bike down the street, that you wear a helmet and maybe have functioning brakes and everything and mm -hmm. get it checked. Mm -hmm. But uh, if someone runs you over, then you go to the police if you still can, of course. And then that they mm -hmm. they have their task. So in IT security, I think it's it's very similar. So you you will have to 
uh, acknowledge the subsidiarity principle, which basically means that uh, you have to do that something for yourself on the lowest level. And then if you go up the ladder, um, maybe other stakeholders get involved. So you have mm -hmm. to expect uh, multinational companies to protect themselves against uh, cyber criminals and to a certain degree also against like um, uh, intellectual espionage operations. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. you cannot expect a small and medium enterprise to protect itself against, well, let's say, for example, Russian intelligence services. You know, that, that's when you need the support of the government. So I think back to the question of uh, centralized is good or bad, I think that the German cybersecurity architecture is in certain ways already centralized. Uh, mm -hmm. Like you have the National Cyber Defense Center, which centralizes a lot of operational things, at least the information exchange, or is supposed to do that. On the strategic policy level, you have the National Cybersecurity Council, which is supposed to do that. Both organizations don't work super well, but at least they are there. So with BSI, I think it makes a lot of sense because um, all the different German states are now developing their own cybersecurity agencies, legislation, and policies. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, they cannot cover everything. So it makes a lot of sense to exchange information and services with each other and centrally through the federal level with an across the BSI, the National Cybersecurity Agency. Mm -hmm. So basically changing the law in a way that there is no problems of exchanging information and cooperating across states through the federal level is a very good step. Mm -hmm. Okay, That's, that sounds good. So um, regarding BSE, their current uh, responsibilities are already growing. Just to, to if I take a, a look at the, the SIG, so I... So the new cybersecurity uh, standard in, in Germany, which have an important deadline, for example, next May for this uh, so-called Angriss and Erkennung. So uh, actually a behavior analytics uh, like of tools to use for the critical infrastructures. Uh, the, the new NIS2 directive is, is coming and, and being, and, and, and that, that will bring more, more, uh, more and more um, responsibilities and, and, and tasks for the BSE. So do you also think that they can cope with it? So let's say grow in terms of human resources, complexity of operations. I mean, how, do you, how do you know them? I mean, I mean, I left 2016 and I think uh, they doubled their staff between 2016 and now. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I think they are up to the task. Uh, I think they have uh, a lot of expertise in-house, which, of course, supports if they get a new responsibility or new power or whatever. Of course, they don't have to start from the scratch. They have a lot of people in-house who already have um, expertise in adjacent fields and everything. So I mm -hmm. think they are up to the task. But uh, if not, then we have to make them be up mm -hmm. to the task because these policies, uh, including also the draft now on the EU level of the Cyber Resilience Act, these are all things which which make sense and are good to um, improve our overall cybersecurity level. So um, if the National Cybersecurity Agency is up for the task or not, that is not really the big question. The biggest question is, um, or the challenge is that we have to make it fit enough to be up for the task because the task is coming. And if it's, if it's going to be implemented well, we're all going to benefit from it. Mm -hmm. I fully agree, and I think, yeah, it's uh, it's revealing that you say that. I mean that that the BSI is is in a good, at least starting position for the new uh, new legislations or the new tasks. Uh, if I take a look at the Hungarian um, state uh, level, it's it's lagging behind. Despite that, uh, if I uh, just uh, take examples from the private sector, I see 
two, I would, I would say, too much similarities between the, the eastern states within in the European Union and the western states because of the, the family-based uh, businesses, for example, never really uh, became ready to, to face these new, new challenges and they didn't really get uh, support for that from the from the states. So each and every state now, now the, the centralized act, which is coming, I think will, will help us a lot, but also makes makes a huge pressure on us, on all of us. Yeah. So I think that's a very important point that you're raising there, Greg. Um, it is a uh, small, medium enterprise, the family businesses there, they haven't haven't done much and, and they don't get support from the government. I think that's something that we fundamentally overlooked in the last years, which is um, the government basically says like, okay, well, we are providing you information like newsletters, like warnings, like bulletins, mm -hmm. and uh, the rest is up to you. And that's understandable. You make money. Uh, your private business, you make money, so you protect yourself up to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. But what we've seen in the last uh, 10 years, 15 years is that this system is not working. So now we can, of course, say, well, the government's saying, well, we do all we can. And the businesses say, well, you're not doing enough. We, we, can, we can be there. We can be perfectly fine with that mm -hmm. status quo. But that means that we are losing millions and millions of euros every year from our economy. So mm -hmm. we can try to find new ways to mitigate this, or mm -hmm. we both be right and continue on the losing path. And I think that's something that we have to acknowledge and uh, decide whether we want to do something about it or mm -hmm. not. Mm -hmm. I agree. If, if we go back to this example we, we brought up, it's like if the police would help you uh, to practice martial arts, <laughs> instead of protecting you, but I, I know it's a silly, oversimplified example, but at least funny. So uh, in your talk uh, on our Sokwise event in April, SOC Summit, you provided a very interesting insight uh, into the German cybersecurity landscape. And during your talk, uh, you were you were talking also about this Strategie Unfähigkeit, so the incapability uh, of strategy. And, and you also, I think, uh, we're, we're talking about uh, new organizations coming up or, 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 or bigger changes. Did they really take place? So since then, since, since April, what, what happened so far? Yeah, I'm, I, I kind of stand corrected. It's a bit disappointing what we've seen so far because Uh, we haven't seen a lot. I mean, the uh, Ministry of the Interior um, launched their cybersecurity agenda, which is just another policy document which reiterates things that have been discussed in other strategic documents. So I honestly, you don't even know which strategic document is now the most current version or not. It's, uh, it's a bit, um, it's not confusing. It's just, um, it's just chaotic, honestly. Mm -hmm. And um, we have the discussions that uh, you just, Uh, summarized from that news article, we have the discussion uh, that we need a constitutional change to uh, enable the centralized function of the National Cybersecurity Agency. We also have that constitutional discussion uh, around the topic of active cyber defense operations. Mm -hmm. So these are the things that uh, until now in the political debate, uh, we might see some movement there this autumn, but mm -hmm. uh, between April and now, honestly, uh, not much happened, at least not to the positive. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, there was summer in between. Uh, in politics, it shouldn't, shouldn't mean that much. And there is still the war ongoing. Uh, by the way, regarding the, the Ukrainian uh, war, do you see any specific cyber-related uh, legislation, activities, or, or at least the, 
the the, the actual actions of of the on, on state level did, did they change since the start of this nightmare well we we had this uh from the policy level um of the so-called Zeitenwende announcement mm -hmm. that germany will now more invest in its uh, security in the broader sense so mm -hmm. there will be um quite some money being poured into the um in the army armed services mm -hmm. and uh quite substantial sum of that is used for hardware uh which also means that hardware will be more secure than before not mm -hmm. like you know, not the sense that you would expect IT security, but de definitely uh, an important improval of the of the hardware that's used, for example, for communications. Mm -hmm. um, but the um, Department of Homeland Security or Ministry of Interior here in Germany uh, was basically uh, not included in that big budget. So then there were discussions about they are getting their own budget for improving cybersecurity and getting that across the finishing line right now. So... Um, I'm a bit hesitant to call it a big step because we still have to see where the money will be allocated, what it will be used for. Mm -hmm. But um, the the Russian war against Ukraine is definitely something that triggered um, a, a fundamental additional investment and funding in um, the broader topic of, of mm -hmm. cyber security and cyber defense and everything that, that goes around with it. Okay, that's... To me, it seems a progress. I, I know how states or federal states are working. It's really time consuming. And regarding that, I think it's still impressive, which is going on. So um, there was a huge discussion regarding the state security uh, and the usual hackback. So the active attack on the servers, let's say so, <laughs> of the attackers or the networks of, of the attackers. Uh, I think you, pride, uh, pretty often uh, say your opinion on this. Would you share your opinion on, on hackback? Are they unavoidable or what's the future of this in, in your opinion? I think um, from the German perspective, we have been discussing it for five years and we're now talking about a constitutional change without um, without really knowing what we're talking about. So uh, let me just uh, quickly quote you my definition, what I understand from it, and then what does that mean? Thanks. So um, uh, active cyber defense, we have def defined it as one or more technical measures implemented by an individual state or collectively carried out or mandated by a government entity with the goal to neutralize and or mitigate the impact of and or attribute technically a specific ongoing malicious cyber operation or campaign. And oh. that's, a very, that's a very broad thing, right? So mm -hmm. in general, there's a lot of things that go in there which which might make sense, and then there's a lot of things that don't make sense at all. And that that that's the part where you go into the hackback field. A hackback, for my in my opinion, is something where you're outside your own jurisdiction, deploy intrusive cyber operations mm -hmm. to try to stop a cyber operation or um, um, uh, do attribution of a cyber operation. Now. For attributional purposes, that might at some point work. Um, but the reason why we're discussing hackbacks and active cyber defense is from the perspective of making us more secure, right? And and all of these things don't make us more secure. They help us maybe to find who's behind an operation, but what do we do with that knowledge? Um, and they might help us to get some retribution, right? You know, like we're going to mm -hmm. delete your computers, which, you know, then you buy new computers and set them up new, or you just set up your old computers new. Um, you, you're not increasing your own security by doing most of these measures. So I think I think our focus should be more on improving the resilience 
of our crucial and important IT infrastructures rather than looking for this new powers for our security agencies to uh, once in a while case be able to stop one cyber operation, which is malicious. Mm -hmm. I think we should focus more on on be more, become more resilient um, because resilience has the advantage that you're protecting against everything, not only uh, intelligence agencies, but also cyber criminals and catastrophes. If you're resilient, you have backups, you have decentralized data points and everything. If there's a flooding or a hurricane or whatever, and mm. your main data IT infrastructure gets destroyed, you still have a backup and everything. And if you're looking at this from that angle, I think you get more bang for the buck when you actually focus on resilience other than active cyber defense or hackback operations, you know, which might in edge cases work, but in general, they're not improving the overall security of your country and they're using up resources that we don't have a lot of, which is, of course, um, educated IT staff in our government entities. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's an important aspect also. I mean, resilience and also because of uh, of an outage in the electricity network uh, has a much higher uh, probability than for example before a year and now so so we should take it more more into consideration that it will happen and regarding most of our regulations it 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 either helps and it even supports us if we take them serious and not just uh, create papers and papers for operations but uh, so Sorry to try to simplify your opinion, but you say that these kind of hack, hackbacks or, 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 or attacking you are attackers, in, in your opinion, it does not belong to the, the right things to do. Uh, so it should not be done even on EU, so European Union level. But, but what, what else could do the, the European Union to, to support the, the states, the member states, I mean? Greg, um, I, I think you had a, you had a great great example. Um, to oversimplify it, um, if the Russians are switching off the lights in Berlin, I don't want to switch off the lights in Moscow. I want the lights in Berlin to go mm -hmm. up as fast as possible. And and I, th I think this shows you where we should be going. And not only as Germany, but as the European Union. So we should be focusing on. Uh, getting our important infrastructures back operational as fast as possible in the event of an adverse cyber operation or whatever. And um, the, the European Union uh, with the uh, Network and Information Security uh, Directive, with the Cyber Resilience Act and so on and so far goes in the right direction of doing that. Mm -hmm. I don't think the European Union should focus on uh, offensive cyber operation capabilities, on uh, hackback or active cyber defense operations that are intrusive and taking place in foreign networks. Um, this is all um, that sounds great. You know, when you want to have like this defensive posture, this, yeah, we are strong posture. But it doesn't help us the way other things help us. Like one example, if you want to do, you know, after like the war started, of course, everyone was like, okay, what, what can we do actively, proactively? We don't always want to just wait for someone to come and then protect and then uh, make it operational again if it fails. We want to do a proactive. To those people, I say, well, then, then you look at threat hunting teams. Then you start building your threat hunting teams. You go in your important and crucial IT infrastructures and you look if there's already backdoors, if there's already um, uh, advanced persistent threat groups that have access to those networks and you mm -hmm. kick them out. You, you make sure that they don't have access anymore. You can be proactive with that. We have enough important mm -hmm. IT infrastructures where you can deploy these threat hunting teams. That mm -hmm. is something we should do. 
this is an interesting aspect. You're right. I, I really like this example as well. And and also we we do it, but um, with, with even even with large enterprises, we face it it pretty rarely. I mean I mean active um, hunting in this case, but but we encourage people to do that. Uh, we can do proactive exercises like with a purple teaming exercise. Or, or any kind of red teaming activities, uh, so testing our own capabilities. And I guess, I don't know if you agree on that or, or with, with me, that in the cyber world, we are more the part of the defense, I mean, the private sector as well, than in the physical uh, warfare, let's say. So, so critical infrastructures, every company can be a target very easily, and the infiltration is also easier than than in the in the, the spyware world no i i definitely agree i mean um it's it's um yeah it's it's a bit dissimilar because what we what we see is like okay we have this we have the war in ukraine going on right but apart from from the war in ukraine where there are cyber operations being deployed or cyber warfare um you have constant cyber operations either criminal or for intelligence nature uh, outside mm -hmm. of wars um, and, and they they are affecting the industry because the industry is running uh, the majority of all IT infrastructures everywhere. Mm -hmm. So we are in this, you call it Wild Wild West. I think there's a lot of regulations now and a lot of uh, sheriffs there. So it's not so wild anymore as it was maybe before. But <laughs> it is it is constant threats coming everywhere. And the industry is a very lucrative mm -hmm. uh, target. Um, criminals are making their living out of it. Mm -hmm. And... Um, uh, intelligence agencies are succeeding uh, with their objectives when they compromise uh, IT infrastructure of the private sector. So the private sector definitely uh, plays an important role in the entire cybersecurity field. And um, that is independent from if there is an active war or not. Um, that is uh, that is true, but we have been discussing mm -hmm. the role of, of uh, private industry um, for a long time. The the Americans, for example, for years now discussed active cyber defense, but not as something that the government should do because they they are allowed or they are doing it already. But if private companies should actually be allowed to hack back uh, uh, because um, their data gets stolen, that's a completely different perspective than we have here, at least right now. But it shows mm -hmm. you how big of a role the industry. Place, no matter if you agree or not. Of course, I don't agree. But anyway, <laughs> yes, uh, with, with with this aspect, I mean, and the the U.S. Uh, approach, I, I actually I don't agree as well. But but the importance of the private sector definitely, if we just uh, take uh, into consideration the resources, what what we all lack, we need to share these kind of resources and knowledge. What what we have both in the state and, and the private sector. And if they can, or we can help each other, then we'll, it will be definitely more more efficient and effective also. So, um, so regarding uh, the European Union's uh, actions, we are pretty uh, satisfied. I, I, I think uh, the, the, the current regulations are really up to date. So complying with that uh, will help a lot. On, on, on state levels as well, so member state level. Uh, what do you think? How much time will it take until most of the member state will be able to to localize the regulations? Because it's just a directive at the moment. So, so do you have an assumption? I have I have no idea. 
<laughs> Honestly, really, Greg, I can't, you can't <laughs> even give you a ballpark number. I mean, we're talking about um, them being, you know, put into national law, and then that's not the end of it. The end of it is then how much time will be given to the companies to actually implement it, and then uh, they actually them actually implementing it, and not just getting fancy certifications that they have um, a couple of years. <laughs> Yeah, definitely a couple of years. The question is, I think, is, is it two or is it seven? I can imagine both on, on my side because, it, as you said, you have to set up the, the local legislation, but also the control mechanisms, organizations with with manpower who is able to control it very strictly, but but also supportively. So, yeah, so I think some something between two and five years Hopefully, hopefully a bit uh, quicker. But but what I like uh, with the new uh, directives that we can also use as standards, use them as standards, um, like the the NIST cybersecurity framework. So we we could we could and we should use it. I think, in my opinion, in 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 Europe, as 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 a, as a standard or 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 a, or a basic of of the compliance of of cybersecurity within cybersecurity. No, I totally agree, and I, I think uh, the Cyber Resilience Act will has the potential to have even more impact because, similar to the uh, GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation, um, the Cyber Resilience Act will at some point, uh, you know, make it impossible to to uh, sell technology that is not up to the security by design standard of that mm -hmm. act uh, mm -hmm. into the European Union and sell it there. And I think that that mm -hmm. may have a great effect um, based on the on the economy that the European Union can leverage. And um, mm -hmm. that's something we should get our eyes peeled on and um, should have a look of how it develops. Okay, then it it also sounds pretty positive. It's it's always uh, nice to hear some some new positive initiatives uh, within EU, definitely. Uh, so let's uh, I think let's uh, let's summarize with this positive <laughs> uh, approach this this podcast. I am really grateful that you were with us today. I uh, I cannot uh, swear that I will not invite you again because I enjoy these talks very much. So I hope you will be open for our next discussion sooner or later. So thank you very much, Sven, and have a nice day. Greg, thank you for having me and uh, I'm sure coming again to your show. I really enjoyed uh, you asked the right questions. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> thank you very much. See you.